0: This July, join us for a winter tale so chilling, you'll still have goosebumps when actual winter rolls around. One woman, one dissatisfied family in need of bonding, and one haunted Super 8 Motel just barely outside the 16th largest metropolitan statistical area in the country.
1: So tell me more about this hotel I'll be looking after all winter.
2: Okay, well it's a Super 8, so it's two better than a Motel 6. Also, a deranged winter caretaker, just like you, went insane and killed their whole family. We had to close for an entire tourist season just to get the bloodstains out of the carpets and walls.
1: Well, that doesn't sound so bad.
2: Also, for reasons that cannot be explained, the temperature of the pool water is always five degrees too cold.
0: Can this family from suburbia survive, all alone in a secluded motel, nestled among the dark peaks of the Rockies? So just to
2: be clear, you and your family will be all alone together in a boring old hotel with no Wi-Fi for the entire winter. Will your family be okay with that?
1: I'm sure my 16-year-old daughter, who only communicates through Instagram, will be thrilled. And my 10-year-old son, who learned how to use the computer at one-year-old and hasn't stopped playing WoW since, should be fine too.
2: Later that day.
1: Guess what, kids? I got the job!
0: Fuck and this shit, you bitch!
1: I can tell this is gonna be great for us!
0: A cold, dark winter of isolation can start to play tricks on the mind.
2: Oh, look, dear, I I thought that no internet or television was gonna bring us all closer together, but it only seems to be driving us apart.
0: Dear? Dear? No interest in no dancing with the stars makes Jane a homicidal girl. Uh. The only thing that can save them is. the shiny. Look here, son. I got the shiny, and you got the shiny. If you ever need help, just use the shiny, and I'll come to the rescue.
2: Once again, a little later on.
0: Hold on, son! I'm coming to rescue you! I got your shiny, boy! Now, I'm here! I'm here to help- oh. I'm freaking dead!
2: Well, that was pointless. What the heck good is the shiny in this movie anyway? Well, it got this guy to bring us a working vehicle. Let's get out of here before your mother figures out how to get that blood waterfall working again.
1: Here's Oprah! You get next! You get next!
0: <laughs> it's The Shiny, coming soon to over 50 theaters across the region. Don't miss it. Um, actually, I just read this movie. <sighs> And it ranked uh, 12.5% on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, which is slightly below Mordecai. Shut up, you. Go see it. The Shiny. Also, there will be no refunds. In a world where the human race has nearly unlimited access to all forms of media... Mankind faces its greatest enemy. I've come for a vengeance. A looming threat. Can you look at that? What is that? A paralyzing choice. You have eight
1: choices. Choose correctly, and I cannot be held responsible for your suffering.
0: Is the next movie in my queue good? Or bad.
3: Hey, do you guys want to watch Geely?
0: A war that threatens our very existence. We have come to take over your world. And it will be fought over... Cows. (laughs) Uh, one podcast dares to make sense of it all, so you don't have to. This is the Sacred Cows Podcast. And now welcome your hosts. (coughs) (coughs) Hi, I'm Pete. Hi, I'm Mike. (coughs) Uh, Feeling all right there, Pete?
2: I'm getting better. No thanks to you. (laughs) Oh. Oh, you think you're pretty clever, don't you, disembodied voice guy?
0: Clever enough to get the better of you, always. Well, I got a surprise for you, smartass. Start over.
2: Hi, I'm Pete. Hi, I'm Mike.
1: Hello, everyone. It's Veronica.
0: <laughs> oh, <whoa. laughs> wait.
1: What was that last one? Hello, everyone. It's Veronica.
0: That's right, motherfucker. Oh no, no, I haven't had time to prepare. I'm not ready for this encounter. Hey.
1: Hey, hey, disembodied voice guy, relax. I'm not here to start anything. In fact, I'm hoping we can put all this behind us. What do you say? Really? Absolutely. There's no reason that the two of us can't be friends. I think that'd be great.
0: I'm really happy to hear you.
1: Psych! Roll sanity! No! Thanks, disembodied voice guy. (laughs)
3: <laughs> Welcome to the Sacred Cows Podcast, the only podcast on iTunes that's about movies that still has 5 out of 5 stars in every review. Sure about that? 100%. <laughs> Maybe not by the
2: time you're listening to this in, uh, you know, the 20, 30-aughts, but I don't know. Oh, you mean when we finally built that underground bunker with the solar-powered podcast players so that anybody can hear our wisdom? Yes. Yes, and echoing through the ages. So I'm Mike, Absolutely, and that's Pete. Yeah, and I'm Pete, the other guy. And we have a special guest with us today.
1: Hey everybody, it's me, Veronica, from Cthulhu and Friends.
2: Yay! Welcome to the show, we're happy to have you.
1: Thank you, I'm so excited to be back!
2: Yeah, it wasn't that long ago, but I'm happy that we were able to bring you back for a reason other than reviewing City Slickers 2. I'm glad (laughs) that that's not the reason you're back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what? I might (laughs) have... watched the wrong movie oh, oh. good night everybody. well you know they're kind of the
2: same film really when you think about it yeah you know differences all right so uh actually
3: all joking aside we're here to talk about the 1980
2: stanley kubrick film the shining 1980 again uh we've delved back into a slightly older uh year than we have uh, in the previous season um It seems like we're hitting, uh, we're going back in time a lot more frequently these days.
1: I just think that it doesn't matter how old a movie is, as long as it holds up, you know, that that's the important thing. And isn't that what we're here to do?
2: Oh, yeah. We're here to talk about that. (laughs) Right. And I think uh, we're broadening our horizons to some extent, you know, kind of, well, stepping outside of my lifetime anyway, uh, going this far back in time. So,
1: yeah, totally. Me too.
2: Yeah. Sam Beckett wouldn't have been able to do this. Quantum Leap joke? Come on. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're, this
3: is the right generation to get that. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys are okay with it, why don't we jump into the history of the movie? Mm,
2: okay.
1: I accept.
3: Now let's talk about that history that we were promising to do. Everybody should have done a little bit of research and uh, hopefully have a little bit of, of something to talk about about it. Well, can we just
2: basically start by saying that this is a um, movie version of a Stephen King novel uh, that he conceived while staying in the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, a city where I used to live very close to and have been many times. It's very lovely. Um, I don't know when that happened, though.
1: Yeah, I'm actually not sure on that either, but when I started watching this movie, I had to make sure that I was only thinking of the movie so I didn't go in with a The Shining versus The Shining mentality, and I feel like they're two completely different stories, so you really just have to decide you're either watching The Shining or you're going to read the book. Yeah. The two streams can't cross here.
2: They're right. They're that different, huh? I've certainly yeah. never read the book.
3: Well, I mean... uh, you know, I don't. I don't mind talking a little bit about this uh, now, since it's sort of a part of this uh, film's history. Because uh, you know, history doesn't end after the film is out. Stephen King is very vocal about uh, the differences between this film and his book, critical quite a bit, uh, mostly with the portrayal of I don't know all the characters. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, they're quite different. Um, in the in the movie, it's really kind of strange. I actually, going back, kind of thought that Jack Nicholson was a terrible cast for this particular film, and I think that Stephen King has said that over and over uh, about how he just doesn't have, you know, the Jack Torrance look, and I really agree with that because, you know, um, scene one, you're like, geez, Jack Nicholson, he's got the most sinister eyebrows in Hollywood, so... <laughs> You know,
2: (laughs) I got to say, though, as somebody who's never read the book and really not familiar with the story at all, uh, boy, does he act the hell out of that role. It's 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 really something now, maybe he wasn't right for the part as, you know, we and in fact, the author pictured him as 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 he appears in the book, but um, feel like he he certainly wasn't phoning in his uh, performance.
1: I would actually disagree with that because I don't feel like we saw the descent into madness. I really feel like... You feel like
2: he was already there.
1: Yeah, I feel like he was already kind of crazy.
3: Well, and yeah, and, and we're, you know, we're breaking a little bit into the spoiler section, but I guess I don't, Sorry. <laughs> I don't mind in this particular point since it is something that's like, if you're ever reading about The Shining, you're just going to see it right away. A comment has been made about the movie is that Jack Nicholson's performance is a crazy man Trying to struggle to hold on to his sanity, whereas the the book uh is about a man that is normal trying to not become insane
2: not having that background, I know when I was watching this movie m- in many scenes, I looked at the screen and said, "Boy, this role would have gone to Jack Black if it was made these days <laughs> <laughs> all right
3: well i do we do have to get a little bit back to the to the rest of the of the casting and everything. The chronology of this is that the um the Shining, the book, comes out in 1977, and basically, uh, long story short, is Stanley Kubrick had a movie in 1975 that came out called Barry Lyndon, which didn't do that well commercially, even though it's a, you know considered a technical achievement. It was uh, just not a box office success in the United States. So uh, Kubrick was looking for something else to do that would be more successful. Uh, so he ended up reading a bunch of uh, horror books and ended up um not liking a bunch of them and then he came to the shining and he was reading that book and said yes I would love to do this this is the the next picture I want to do and uh he went and talked to Stephen King and his people you know they started working on it because that's kind of how a Kubrick thing goes and he's known as one of the biggest um control directors of of ever
1: from that point on it's 5 years after that then we got the release of the movie mm-hmm. so
2: well, it sounds like he built a lot of stuff. He, like, built all the sets <laughs> and built the actual hotel, you know, out in the middle of nowhere or yeah, something Yeah, Stanley like that.
1: Kubrick is, uh, te- or was, I guess, terrified of flying, so everything was actually done in England at his studio. And did you guys know about the fire that happened at the Right, studio? right,
2: that yeah. burned down the, uh, the hotel sets or yeah. the, the exterior building had to be rebuilt.
1: Yeah. A two point five million dollar rebuild, so it's pretty crazy.
2: Oy, which in nineteen eighty was like what twenty million dollars. Yeah.
1: It all sounds expensive to mm-hmm. me.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> Basically, if if you're if you're not familiar with Stanley Kubrick work, get familiar with it. But uh, the the closest director I think today um, that would have uh, that kind of power without uh, all of his own money.
2: Uh, is probably Christopher Nolan. M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, No. (laughs) Not anymore. (laughs) Wait. Then how does he keep getting movies? How does he keep getting studios to give him money? Anyway, you were going to say a different name, Mike. I said Christopher Nolan, but... (laughs) Christopher Nolan.
3: Oh, interesting. Yeah, and if you think about it, I mean... That's why, you know, he did the devil's deal. You know, he would uh, do all these uh, Batman movies and then he'd go do whatever crazy movie he wanted to do. So that's kind of the kind of what I'm getting at. Maybe not a devil's deal. You know, depends on if you like his stuff, I, I, I guess. Yeah,
2: I do know what you mean.
1: I guess I could see that. Chris Columbus might also be another one, but I don't think that he has that much pull. I'm. Mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. Christopher Nolan, for sure. Yeah. I would agree with that 100%. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I had to really think that out, and I had to do it out Hollywood loud. That's the
2: Hollywood game right there, you know? You do what the suits want, you do
3: what you want. So, of course, um, then we already talked about Jack Nicholson as Jack
2: in the movie. We've got mm-hmm. uh, Wendy played by... Shelley Duvall. Mm-hmm. shut. I was delighted to see that she was in this movie. I love Shelley Duvall. I've never seen her play a character like this. I don't know what you'd call her—like a country American or something like that. <laughs> olive Oil—that's what I call her because she's yeah, yeah. right. Because she's been in like things like Time Bandits and like Fairy Tale Theater and stuff like that. But and Popeye anyway. and Popeye, right? Olive Oil, as you said.
1: Yeah, I see. The only things that I ever knew her from were The Shining and The Fairy Tale Theater. Sure, so, sure. Completely different for me. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Well, interesting. Yes. She's Died in the wool English woman. <laughs> I
3: only ever knew her from this in Popeye, and I love that Popeye movie as a kid. I don't know
2: if I'll it would look, hold look, up look, now, look, look, but <laughs> Well blow me down.
1: <laughs> oh Mike, I've seen it recently and <sighs>
2: <laughs> did it, Did it, Keep it audiences in, your in the year that it happened <laughs> uh, think it was any good? I don't think. I don't if know. If you
1: were a child, sure.
2: <laughs> Perhaps. You'd have to be right. Yeah, yeah, and then of course we've got mm. um, we've got Scatman
3: Crothers, who's playing Dick Halloran. Dick Halloran, right? So those are the big names in the movie.
2: Yeah. Um, I looked up. I actually was like, that kid looks familiar. Barry Nelson. Uh, nope. Apparently, nope. he's never been in like anything else ever. He was in another movie or like a TV show once. Two years later, but then nothing ever again. So.
1: Yeah, I think he's like a science teacher now. Which Don't oh. you mean Danny Lloyd? Fucking scary. Yeah, Danny Lloyd.
2: Is Danny Lloyd. You uh, said Barry Nelson? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, who the heck is Danny Lloyd? Oh, yeah, <laughs> Danny Lloyd. No, is that, Danny Thornton. Danny is Lloyd is of- exactly
3: the same person you talked about, except with the right name.
2: Okay, whatever. <laughs> we'll fix it in post production. Danny Lloyd, never to be seen or heard from again. <laughs> Um so he's perfect for a horror movie.
3: Uh some other interesting things that uh came out of this is you know this film was one of the very first uh to use this the uh steady cam Oy. otherwise known as a camera in a wheelchair mm-hmm. which is how you get all the shots with Danny riding his uh big wheel that's the word for it. Uh,
2: sure the big wheel all around. Yeah. So which I thought that was interesting because yes it it provides a nice steady rolling shot and easy to track a moving object that kind of thing like that. Uh Hollywood's really moved away from that because now it's like they instruct the cameraman to like dance around like he's got ants in his pants and point the camera in any damn direction he feels like uh, when you're doing a chase scene like that Sh- or something like that. Shaky cam. Yeah, shaky cam. <laughs> the opposite of steady cam.
1: Shit, guys, I dropped the camera. It's cool, go with it. <laughs>
2: yeah, great, great, that's perfect. You're really giving it your all. I busted my leg. So. Crawl! <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I like, I like the steady cam. Easier to see what the heck it is you're looking at. All right.
1: Uh, oh, and this film was done uh, in a continuous shot, too, which is kind of insane. I And Stanley Kubrick's movies were all done like that, which is also insane. But, um, yeah, I, he liked being able to make adjustments and it not affect the rest of the film. So
3: You really, really, really had to know your lines if you were an actor in that movie.
1: Oh, oh Yeah.
2: yeah. The continuous shot is one of the great cinematic art forms, I think. Uh, there's ai don't remember what it's called, but there's a really great short documentary about it on Netflix. Um, Maybe I can look it up for the show notes, but I think it's wonderful when a continuous shot is featured in a movie.
3: You know, what's interesting about this is um, that documentary, that 30-minute documentary they had about making the movie and then some of the other stories coming from the cast um, sort of to summarize them – You know, Jack Nicholson apparently had a great time making this movie, although he was complaining about, like, uh, you know, he just threw away his script because he'd get new lines every day based on Kubrick just, like, rewriting and rewriting on set. And then you had Shelley Duvall who just was, like, going insane because apparently she didn't get along with Kubrick and also the lines changing every day just really, you know, rubbed her the wrong way. So, uh, and as far as the kid was concerned... um, yeah, it wasn't that bad.
1: Well, I mean, the kid didn't even know that he was filming a horror movie, which I thought was pretty great.
2: Oh, is that right?
1: Yeah, he didn't even see it until he was 16 years old.
2: Well, then how did they explain his stage direction to, like, shudder uncontrollably and drool as, like, you know, something hor- horrific is happening?
1: Um, They told him that it was a drama.
2: Oh, and so, so what? He what, what, <laughs> Maybe suppose. he was a
1: child with an affliction. I okay. have no idea. It's, it's <laughs> child not with an a
2: affliction, drama, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: it's not a comedy. <laughs> well,
2: I suppose. And then they were like, "Oh, and by the way, a little guy, uh, you know, lives in your mouth." I don't know. Weird, <laughs> weird. Weird. Um, yeah, this was a weird movie.
1: So Danny Lloyd is actually the one. That made the finger thing where they, you know, the little boy, ha- it lives in my mouth. Tony lives in my mouth.
2: Tony, that was the name I was looking for.
1: Yeah. And Danny is the one that made the little talking finger motion.
2: Huh. Well, what an iconic little uh, stroke of genius. hmm Yeah,
3: and there was a lot of iconic strokes of genius. Uh, they talk about... Um, you know uh, there's being some improvisational lines and of course the most famous line from the movie with the uh, you know Jack Nicholson's picture on it uh with his face coming through the door where he says "Here's Johnny" is is uh was an improv ad lib that was all ad libbed huh mm-hmm.
2: wow yeah obviously the uh the most iconic line i guess from the film uh, uh my first experience with the movie was some guy in my class wearing a shirt with that very thing so i'm like okay i don't know what that is but neat
3: all right well since you're talking about your experience why don't we just go into um our own history with these with this movie then and we can start with you pete where pick up where you left off
2: all right you ready for a shocker never saw this movie oh wait i just watched it so i saw it once This is the very first time I'd ever seen anything about this movie. I'd never seen a clip from this movie. I never saw the iconic Here's Johnny moment ever. Um, So uh, that being said, everything about this movie is familiar anyway because, like, every scene in this movie must have been parodied a hundred times. You know, we're talking, like, Simpsons Treehouse of Horror or the, uh, you know, memes like the Here's Johnny thing. You know, before they were even memes, they were just, you know non-contextual things that you know transcended this movie essentially so uh yeah never saw the movie even though that's the case i found it strangely familiar who wants to go next uh veronica what what about you
1: yeah i saw the movie i believe when i was five or six i oh my i had a real bad habit of sneaking out of my room and watching movies on the tv laying in the floor So I've seen a lot of horror movies well before I should have. (laughs) And so, well, here's the crazy thing is that I watched the whole movie, was very quiet the whole time. And then I would sneak back into my room when the credits would go back on. So when my mom came to check on me, I was like, oh, I'm faking being asleep. Mm. (laughs) The next day...
2: Having horrible nightmares.
1: (laughs) The next day at breakfast, my mom asked me something. She's like, do you want kind of cereal do you want, Veronica? And I was like, Veronica's not here anymore, Mrs. Escamilla. (laughs) (laughs) Busted. And boy, she did not think that was funny. (laughs) So I used to screw around with my mom a lot like that.
2: Well, that's a hilarious little goof there.
1: Yeah, it was fun.
2: Mike, that leaves you. What's your experience with this movie?
3: I wish I had a funny story like that, but quite honestly, uh, I saw this movie when I was in my teens. I do not remember the year, and unfortunately, it was a TNT showing of this movie. You know... They didn't even show the blood, did they? No, no, it was so cut up. I mean, there was still the, the. I remember the here's Johnny and stuff like that. And basically the whole last, I don't know, you know, 10-ish minutes of the movie was uncut. You know, the chases and everything like that. Uh, but...
2: Yeah, but he goes. Here's Johnny. Cut to commercial. Join us for our James Bond marathon yes. this Thanksgiving Day.
3: <laughs> and then they come back, yeah. and and you know, he starts chasing him through the maze, and then it goes to commercial because it's TNT, and there was like you know every six minutes. That's how we get these movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my oh, first God. viewing experience in my life was probably the worst.
1: <laughs> well, that's how I saw a Christmas story, so that's okay.
2: The 24 Hours Marathon? All of us from our generation.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
2: Ted Turner. That's just how we used to watch movies back in the day on TV. Yes, kids, that was a thing.
1: And there were commercials Mm -hmm. strategically placed commercials.
2: Right. And more and more as the movie wore on. (laughs)
1: Let's
2: talk
3: about your recent viewing experience and any baggage that you may have
2: with the movie. I will say let's do the same order we did last time. Pete first. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, my viewing experience was very nice. Uh, I watched this with my lovely wife who uh, loves this movie. Uh, thought perhaps I that she shouldn't watch it with me because she was going to, you know, want to point things out basically and all that kind of stuff and I'm a total noob greenhorn with this film uh but apart from the iconic films or the iconic moments from the film I did not really know what to expect about this movie I had no clue about the plot I had no clue what any of the actors looked like except for Jack Nicholson obviously I had no idea that Shelley Duvall was even in this movie um so everything was a total surprise to me basically Um, And Veronica, that makes it your turn to tell us.
1: That's fun. I love that for you.
2: Yeah, it was just, it was like, here's, it would be like, well, it'd be like if somebody on our Star Wars episode hadn't seen it before or something like that, (laughs) which almost happened, which almost happened.
1: Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, uh, like I said, I saw the movie when I was five. It's one of my favorite movies, but I had not seen it in almost 10 years, and maybe even longer than that. So it's been quite some time for me, and I was interested to watch it again because I hadn't seen it in so long, and I was like, well, is it really scary, or was it just me back then? So um, one of the things about me, though, is that when a movie is scary, if it is legitimately scary to me, I am just as terrified my 10th time watching it as I am the first time that I watched it. So last night I watched it with my fiancé and I was literally hiding under the covers. There were moments where I let out a scream, you know, run away (laughs) and all that. It was terrible. (laughs) But yeah, I'm just a sucker for getting sucked into the movie. I am every director's dream.
2: That's awesome. You're doing (laughs) it right.
3: I'm not saying that I'm going to give you a call after this. (laughs) Mike, how'd it go? I, I watched it with my wife as well. Um, it was the first time she had seen it, and it was the last time I had seen it since that TNT viewing so faithfully long ago. <laughs> but oh,
2: I had... So you've only seen it once, and it was a TV edit?
3: Yes, I had, that, I had that last 10 minutes seared in my brain, so it's like I knew this was coming the whole time. <laughs> so unfortunately, um, for me, having that kind of memory of things like this... Um, I um, I'm not going to give away things, <laughs> but it was right a, it was a rather pleasant viewing experience, no problems whatsoever, and I don't think anything uh, from this experience colored my judgment.
2: You know, I'm just going to say this: I didn't see the movie before my first watching last night. I still felt like I had a pretty good handle on the plot, thanks to solely that Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episode. <laughs> I mean, that followed it very well. I thought I missed that so. Hmm. You didn't see that one, uh, the Treehouse of Horror? No, it was maybe 1994 or something like that. Well, maybe I did, but I don't remember it. (laughs) Yeah, it it was. I'll have to look that one up for the for the notes. But yeah, it's one of the very early Treehouse of Horrors.
1: Uh, I've only ever seen one Treehouse of Horrors, and I can't remember which one it was. And I may have only. I think I've only seen maybe a handful of episodes of The Simpsons.
2: No beer and no TV make Homer something, something.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Go crazy. (laughs)
3: Don't
2: mind if I do.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, I've seen it in a gif.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I think that's a good place to uh, let you know that we're going to come back in in just a few seconds with a deep discussion. So now you've entered the points of the show. Where we do the deep discussion on the movie, and that means huge spoilers. So if you haven't watched the movie, The Shining. Which, if you're anybody but me, you have. Go watch it now and come back. Or if you don't care, don't watch it at all, but we're going to spoil it. So,
2: welcome back.
1: You have been warned.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back after your viewing of The Shining. Who volunteers to do the
3: elevator pitch for The
2: Shining? Not it. I don't know if it should be well actually. Veronica do you did want it last the noobs? Time. Didn't she? Do you want the noobs thing? I can I can do an elevator pitch. Yeah, noob. All right. So there's this guy. Big surprise, a Stephen King uh, you know, main character who's an author. Uh <laughs> He is decided he doesn't want to be a teacher anymore, and he comes to the Overlook Hotel in Colorado's mountains to start writing for five months during the winter. And he brings his family and his son with him. His son is um, has a, I guess, a split personality thing happening because his drunk father abused him, and his wife, who just goes along with basically everything, and everything's going fine. Oh, by the way, the kid's psychic. Um, and I'm not doing so well on this. <laughs> uh The guy starts to go more and more crazy um in his seclusion up in the hotel. And his wife and his kids start to fear him. The kid, the wife calls for help. The kid uses his gift called The Shining to communicate with another guy who has The Shining, who is the hotel cook. And, um... The family basically tries to not get killed by the dad and the guy comes to not rescue them but to deliver them a working vehicle and they get away while the dad freezes to death in the garden, basically, while wielding an axe after trying to kill them. Did I do it?
1: Here's Johnny.
2: Heels. here's Johnny. Oh, and like a hundred iconic things that you didn't know where they were from came from this movie. I
3: think it's serviceable for a first time through. I mean, I watched it first time on TNT, and I think uh, uh,
2: you probably gave the TNT edit version, sure. Yeah, you know. (laughs) There's some crap at a 20s speakeasy, and there's some, like, uh, you know, there's a lot of baking powder In the I
1: shots. mean, it's okay. You don't have to tell us every scene for scene with the movie. No, no. We just want to taste.
3: <laughs> it's the elevator pitch. It, it worked out. <laughs>
1: yeah, I thought you did a great job.
3: Yeah. The only thing I would have added is that they're trapped there. You kind of forgot to include that, but eh.
2: Oh, yeah, there's a snowstorm and they're trapped.
3: All right, so yeah. let's talk about it and forget about this 10,000-foot uh, view and get right down into the scrappy details. What do you say?
0: Let's do
2: it.
3: Why don't, why don't you start, Mike? Give us a topic. Uh, let's start with the Shining
2: itself. The whole <laughs> let's talk Ooh, about the nineteen eighty yeah! movie, the no, Shining. No, no, I meant the power of the Shining. You know. Oh, right, right. Yeah, the Shining. It it um uh having watched this for the very first time, it seems very incidental to the actual overall plot. Like it could have possibly been done away with entirely.
1: Oh, <sighs> yeah. This is. With just a little <laughs>
2: bit of rework.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's because Stanley Kubrick wrote the screenplay. He did not even read Stephen King's screenplay that he wrote because he said that while Stephen King has good stories, his writing is weak. So yes, yeah, so yeah, you miss a lot of what is special about The Shining in this movie called The Shining. It's (laughs) really unfortunate.
2: (laughs) Okay, so you're saying in the book, The Shining is much more important. Yeah,
1: yeah, Yeah, it is. It's so much more important. And Pete, if you don't know, there is a sequel to the book, The Shining called Dr. Sleep, which gives an even uh, in my opinion and even better look into what the shining is
2: okay so, yeah in, use and, the shining danny
1: yeah okay. and honestly you can just if you pick up the audiobook dr sleep um listeners i would highly recommend that book
2: Alright, Doctor Sleep and the Electric Mayhem. Sorry, it reminds me of the uh, <clears throat> never mind. Yeah, well the Muppets band. My my point about The Shining was exactly
3: what you guys are talking about, is that it's there's not really a lot with it in this movie, except it seems to be like,
2: you know, a distress signal or just a psychic connection between people. A distress signal that amounts to absolutely nothing and we'll spoil that later. But like right, okay, I get the, the book featured The Shining much more. So that was uh, a difference in the movie, certainly.
1: Well, and I think, too, the part that the movie doesn't, I think, stress well enough is that the hotel had The Shining, basically. And the reason that these things reached out to Danny initially is to, you know, they sense that he has The Shining. And so it's a person that they can talk to or disturb or make themselves known and so people with the shining often try to help transition people out of this kind of limbo area so yeah
2: so no well the uh, Halloran the uh, cook kind of sort of, you know, doesn't commit to the statement, but says that the hotel has something like The Shining, so I get that. And the uh, hotel's kind of shining on Jack, isn't isn't it? Uh, making him do all his weird stuff.
1: I think that's what the movie intends for you to think the entire time, until Stanley Kubrick is like, Oh, I gotcha! He was a ghost the whole time?
3: <laughs> or a reincarnation,
2: at the very least.
1: Yeah, it was real strange
2: right one of the lines in the film is that everybody who's at the hotel has always been there or something like that yeah uh, so it's like the hotel california the hotel colorado i don't know
1: <laughs> obviously there is a second ending of course a director's cut of and course. yeah there is no film of that but there is the script and and basically, one of the rangers comes up with the hotel manager and talks to Danny, or not to, to Danny, talks to Wendy, and says, Hey, we went and looked for all the things that you said, but no no one was up there.
3: Oh. Yeah, they never even found his body.
1: Yeah, and so everyone says, you know, oh, that was the best thing to possibly cut because it really rips the rug out from under everything that you just watched. So, and I agree. Hmm. That was really smart to take that out. But,
2: ugh. Well, there you go. I suppose we have to take the actual filmed movie uh, as our subject matter, though, I suppose. Absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, so yeah. I don't know. The Shining. Uh, sounds like it was more important in the book. That's <laughs> how we can, we can <laughs> title that. <laughs>
3: All right. Well, somebody come up with a different uh, different discussion topic, then.
2: Well, hmm. there's just... Uh, as an outsider looking in, basically, there are all of these scenes in this movie that you recognize, even if you never, ever, ever saw The Shining, especially the two twin girls, I think, that uh, that are not actually twins, according to the some lines delivered in the movie. I suppose they're supposed to be like 8 and 10 or something like that, but um, definitely played by twins. Um, And they're creepy. And they say, come
0: play with us forever and ever and ever.
2: And you recognize that scene, even if you haven't seen the movie, certainly.
1: I forgot at what point the girls were going to show up. And so as soon as I saw Danny on his freaking big wheel, I'm like, oh, God, here it comes. And the music really does make you think that something is going to happen, something bad And it doesn't happen.
2: Right, it's like the third time. The third time the camera is following him around in his big wheel, it finally happens.
1: Yeah, but the music is set on like level 10 intensity the first time he gets on that big wheel and every time after. And if I can segue into music, I really feel like the music in this movie is a complete and utter flop. I love stanley kubrick's score in 2001 a space odyssey cannot stand it in the shining and it's not something that i really remembered hating in previous watches so this was really me nitpicking i guess a lot but i just felt like he wanted me to be so on edge the entire time that at some point like you can only be on edge for so long so you really need to make that good for me and I felt like so often I was like okay still come on
2: or use it sparingly enough where like it puts you back off edge for a little while so that you can get even on edge. exactly
1: I do feel like he Stanley Kubrick's heartbeat sound effect that he has was perfect Mm. though (laughs) that was good and really helped amp up the uh the terror and the suspense for sure
3: well there was the whole um like shrill note sound too i don't know what you would call that is that Mm -hmm. what you were thinking of veronica or
1: yeah yeah exactly
2: kind of like the psycho uh screechy string instrument.
1: yes
3: i actually thought that uh we have a faucet in the house that sometimes uh you know doesn't quite shut off (laughs) You know, so it makes that noise and I'm like, God damn it, the faucet again. And I'm like, get out,
2: Mike, get out. It's a burial ground. Yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) That's funny. We have a toilet that does the same thing that will make just these weird noises at night. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, it sounds exactly like the toilet. Now that you mention that
2: (laughs) (laughs) my toilet has the shining (laughs) and our dishwasher goes, red rum, red rum. (laughs) (laughs) Wish it wouldn't. (laughs) <laughs> no. well
1: now that you've seen the movie you should know that something bad has been happening for ages i guess every time you do the dishes someone gets every, murdered right this is why i don't <laughs> like every to time do
3: you poop someone dies sorry <laughs>
1: <laughs> goodbye tony uh. <laughs> <laughs> Tony hides in my poop.
2: Apart from sound, I noticed that a lot, uh, uh, there were a number of moments in the movie, uh, especially with that, you know, the two girls. Um, you're looking at the, and, and other ones too, of course, you're looking at this like panning shot, and then all of a sudden you'll get like what's a little longer than like a subliminal message, like blip of some celluloid of something totally effed up happening, and then it shoot, and then it goes back to the original footage. Um, like the two girls, it's panning, it's zooming in on them, and then all of a sudden it's them laying on the ground after having been ax-murdered all over the place, and then back to just them again. Uh, And I'm having trouble thinking of any other examples of that, but it did happen several times to the point where when the camera started to zoom slowly in on something, you kind of tensed up because you knew something was about to happen like that.
3: Yeah, well, the other example would be the... um the naked woman which is i think supposed to be the wife of the original uh, uh the last caretaker um when they when jack finally goes into room 237 mm-hmm. and she's the you know famous room, like beautiful and getting out there and then he's like oh hey how you doing <laughs> and comes over and then he's starting to you know make out with her and then like oh my
2: god she's decomposing corpse you know and she's got just a great laugh i liked that oh yeah
1: yeah i i think that kind of goes into that stanley cooper can't do a good sex scene
3: um something
1: always goes horrifically well, wrong that ruined it for me so
2: <laughs> and this is why he made eyes wide shut as a as a fuck you to yeah <laughs> well there was something unappealing about that movie too but yeah <laughs> very unappealing. i said
1: a good sex scene mike yeah
2: right <laughs> Unless no, well, I, I said mind. he Not tried just one to, where you're to like, fix what? it with that movie, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the curse again uh, the Kubrick sex curse.
1: <laughs> Speaking of Kubrick sex curse, um, there is a Playboy, uh, I'm sorry, a Playgirl magazine in the film. Did either of you catch that?
3: Uh, well, I know. I did because I was watching, looked at that website. It's like 25 things you didn't catch in The Shining. <laughs>
1: Oh no. <laughs> I um I actually had someone in high school point that out to me. And I was just like, "What?" But back then it was on VCR, and so I had to really, you know, pause it and I was like, "Oh my god." The screen and,
2: flickers back and forth, so that doesn't even help. So Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was really crazy, but um yeah, there's a Playgirl magazine in the hotel lobby whenever Jack goes up for his interview so some people think that that is kubrick pointing to perhaps sexual abuse that Danny went through but there is i don't know i don't know if that's true or not and
2: yeah does not compute
3: there's all yeah. there's like no evidence for that in the movie that i can see yeah other than like kubrick is weird that's oh. what that's what that points to
2: I think that is what that points to. Plus, we know from the events of the film that Danny is a little bit messed up because of the conventional abuse that he uh, uh, went through. But it probably didn't cause the shock to audiences in 1980 that it would now, where you're just like, oh, and then again, I'm reverse- I'm doing like some sort of a reverse prejudice here because I'm just like, oh, of course, 1980, everybody was drunk and, you know, smacking their kids. But
1: (laughs) see, I think that you might be thinking of the 70s where there was that feeling of no one needs to know what happens to the kids and no one, you know, everyone stays out of everyone else's business. But in the 80s, you really got into a, a place of, Hey, we need to do better for protecting children, which is why they had the the doctor look so concerned whenever she was saying that. You could see that the mom was just, you know, Wendy was like, oh, yeah, it's totally fine. And you know what? It's so good that it happened because Jack stopped drinking. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is that?
3: We talked about it earlier. Jack Nicholson has the craziest eyes in all of Hollywood. And, <laughs> and the best smile. <laughs> And after coming off watching him as the Joker on <laughs> in the last episode, <laughs> that's right, he just did. That to me, it's like, whoa, hey, I want to hear a Prince song, you know, when he comes on. But,
2: <laughs> 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 uh, but oh, uh, man. but man, so was he creepier as the Joker or as uh, Jack here? Well, I felt Jack like the Lawrence. Joker wasn't such a stretch seeing this movie. I mean, <laughs> uh uh-huh. <laughs> He toned it down a little bit to play the Joker.
1: Yeah, when he was axing through the door, I actually thought, you know, you see his face, and I was like, oh my gosh, no wonder he did the Joker. You know, it was just so great. Oh. It just seemed seamless. <laughs>
0: yes. And I'm
1: just
3: like, yeah, I could, I didn't have that, um, that. I hadn't read the articles and stuff talking, you know, about Stephen King's reaction. I saved that for after the movie. But I, I felt from the very beginning like, this is a man who is actually disturbed, and mm-hmm. he's trying to hold it together. I had that feeling, too, the entire time watching this character. And, like, the the supernatural elements of the hotel and just being trapped with cabin fever and things like that. All those things were work-
2: basically working against him, you know? We we live in Wisconsin. We've all lived through this feeling of being trapped in, in a building for seven to eight months out of the year. But anyway... <laughs> Go on.
1: <laughs> 10 out of 10. Could not do.
2: <laughs> it's rough. It's not that
3: bad.
1: Um, I I wondered, though, because I had seen the movie several times before I ever uh, read the book. And I don't know that I understand what happens in the movie. Like, if I really am thinking about it, it's just, what is he? Is he this re- reincarnated person? Is that what, I mean, what do you guys think about that?
2: Hmm. Yeah, um, it was one of those tough things uh, to just make a spot judgment on because um, it's hard to wrap your mind. It's hard for someone like me to wrap his mind around something that isn't explicitly stated in no uncertain terms. But I think it's something you're supposed to think about.
3: Well, can I give you the two Mm -hmm. most popular interpretations of that and we can kind of talk about them Oh,
1: please all right yeah
3: and we'll vote (laughs) sure
1: oh yeah let's vote
3: (laughs) (laughs) so the two most popular interpretations of what jack is is one like you said a reincarnated person that's the same person maybe his name is different you know uh, in the picture in 1921 the other popular interpretation is that the hotel absorbed him because he was a victim of a tragedy, just like all of the other people uh, that the hotel had absorbed the twins, the guy who killed them, you know, everybody who died there because of, through violent means. Maybe the, uh, that uh, um, bartender, too. So uh, those are the two popular oh.
2: interpretations. So, wait, are you saying that the hotel retconned all of its photographs to, like, show him because he, he, he was now part of the timeline? Ding.
3: Yep, that's what people are saying is that the hotel, you know, being a living thing. And, you know, like like they said, you know, having its own, you know, shining
2: um, did that. So the thing that we vote on then uh, by, by virtue of our vote is definitely the thing that Stephen King and or Stanley Kubrick had in mind when they were filming this.
1: No, is I that think how that works? It, we can only go <laughs> for what Stan, Stanley Kubrick's doing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yes.
2: OK, so all bets are off, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, or other. If you have an other idea. Yeah. I wonder if the photograph couldn't have been of that night, and he actually did, like, a one-night-in-Paris type thing where he was transported back to 1921 and uh, was just posed for a shot with all those people at the end of the night. Who knows?
1: Well, but he didn't change clothes.
2: Oh, you're right. He wasn't wearing a tuxedo. He was wearing, like, you know, a lumberjack tuxedo, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had his dinner with... jacket on. Oh, like... Um yeah. Okay. That's a good point. Well, then that's a stupid idea. Um, I don't know. I kind of like the idea that um, somehow he he. I don't know. But the the butler does state that those who are here have always been here. So
1: and Jack also says that you know he when he's talking when he's still I guess sane when he's talking to Wendy he says something about how you know he has all he loved the place immediately it's like when he wa- you know turned a corner he knew what was going to be there even though he had never been there mm. so there is a sense that jack has been there before
2: could have easily been a past life type of a situation what well, yeah is
3: is that the case or does jack have the shining that's you know
2: did the cook ever meet Jack? I don't remember if he did. I think he did. He, did. he uh-huh. would have noticed something. Or he would have... Uh, you know. He seemed awfully keen on talking to Danny about it, so... Uh,
1: would you like some ice cream?
2: <laughs> sure! You can just, you know... Your parents will just leave you with me.
1: I feel like that was such a weird way to use The Shining. Um, but... I feel like if I had The Shining and I met someone else that did, I would just be like, do you want to go to the bathroom? Do you want to wash our hands together? Just any number of things that are just completely freaking ridiculous to say at any given time.
2: I'd be like, can you get me another beer? Can you get me (laughs) another beer?
1: Too lazy to use
2: my mouth. Except for to drink Uh, it, of
3: course. uh, Got got any gum? Uh, Got
1: any gum? (laughs) No, no. I guess mine would actually always be like, don't touch me. Please don't touch (laughs) me. (laughs)
2: Uh, um, how you doing fuck you (laughs) 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 it is possible jack could have the shining and um halloran decided not to say anything to him in fact oh geez i don't know the shining the shining the shining the shining is useless in this movie Mm -hmm. can we talk about that at this point the fact that The Shining amounts to exactly zilch, at least as far as the fact that it gives you telepathic powers goes. Net gain of zero, basically.
1: Well, I think the net gain was a snow cat.
2: Right, but it's like the person (laughs) who had the Shining just was there to show up and die, basically, and leave the keys in the damn thing. Yeah, that's
1: actually a, a controversial subject because... Um, Of course, in the book, he doesn't die. Um, He actually comes in and saves the day. And the reason it was kind of a controversy, I guess, in general is because... It it,
2: completely changes the the events of the book.
1: Well, it completely changes the events of the book. But it completely plays into the trope of, oh, the only black man Mm -hmm. in the film dies. Yeah, absolutely. The actor actually got a lot of negative feedback saying, hey, you shouldn't have taken that role because it just perpetuates a stereotype and blah, blah, blah. And his retort was, so you don't want me to take a very high-paying job because I die in a movie, and you don't want me to work with one of the most highly respected directors in the industry and be a part of an iconic film. That's really stupid. Like, ultimately, it's a job.
3: <laughs> the character is extremely capable up until that last point. He just stumbled, you know?
1: Yeah.
2: Well, you know, if somebody surprises you with an axe, you know, it's, it's you know, doesn't matter how awesome you are.
1: I guess that really does mean that Jack doesn't have The Shining, because wouldn't mm. he have been able to tell that he was there? Um But I also think that it was kind of a great thing because you really, I mean, if you haven't seen the film before, if you haven't watched or if you haven't read the book, you don't know what to expect. And the one thing that I think you don't expect is the guy that you think is going to be the hero with the thing dies just like that, you know?
2: (laughs) If it was, it was a bit of a J.R.R. Martin moment, kind of, you know? The guy you expect to be the hero is dead.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Without having done anything. He got Darth Mauled. Not that yeah, he was he, the hero, but...
1: he Yeah, he got called a Cthulhu'd for sure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> well,
1: well, well.
3: What do you guys think about... Uh, what was the tipping point where Jack really um, had the point of no return?
1: I think that it actually is that point where Jack, like, flips out on Wendy, and that's actually a scene that Jack Nicholson wrote, and... About the typing? No, um... Like,
2: when I'm it's... typing, you get the fuck out of
1: here. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. And Jack Nicholson took that from his actual life when he was trying to write a script, and he also accepted a part. So in the daytime, he was acting, at night, he was writing, and then he flipped out on his wife and child. And that's actually what led to a divorce for him. And so he wrote that scene because he was like, it's got to get this fucking intense. Oh, and yeah. I just did that felt, today. Yeah, I felt a like joke, it was real. But I did it. <laughs> But I, I kind of feel like to me that's the most human part of Jack because I feel like I've been there before where it's just when you have so much on your plate and then that person that maybe you love or your kids do something that's just like, For fuck's sake, you know? <laughs> get the fuck out. I
2: know, right? I'm
1: trying I to pop. But get the fuck away.
2: <laughs> Please. Uh interesting um you know when i saw the movie i don't i don't mean to just jump right in but when i saw the movie it seemed like he maybe i'm just not good at recognizing the signs but he seemed like he was perfectly normal maybe a little too happy-go-lucky and then all of a sudden he was just doing that blank like chin down eyes glanced upward like thousand mile stare that you know lasted for that like 25 second shot that it lingered on him and i'm like oh he's already insane i see um i didn't notice are you that about happening
1: the bedroom
2: i feel i don't remember where he was. was he I've was thought standing maybe he in the, was... his
3: typing area and watching um windy and danny out in the maze as they were running and oh, having fun okay. and he had just told him like oh yeah things are awesome things are great uh You know, she brought him breakfast and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, this is one month after they started. And then Mm -hmm. as soon as they go outside and have a little fun, he's like staring out there, you know, blankly like, duh, you know,
2: like it like it happened off camera that he kind of just went nuts and he's been covering it up. But uh, I think that was the day that, yeah, she brought him breakfast and it was eleven thirty and he was just first waking up, which I was like, hmm, eleven thirty and just first waking up (laughs) and he's sober for five months that doesn't make a lot yeah.
1: of sense. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I feel like it was so sad that the only like the only thing that he had to do for his wife was just, you know what? Maybe just don't hurt our child and me and then we're all good. As long as you're not doing that, everything is fine. So, that's the highest expectation that she had of him, and oh, it was so sad. It was just terrible. It was
3: awful. Cause she fucking did the job at the hotel.
1: Yeah, she actually
3: went and checked oh the radiators God. and everything like that. You know.
1: Yeah, and then and then his little spiel about whenever he's attack or whenever she's got the baseball bat and he's just like, "Do you even know what kind of pressure I'm under to my employer?" Like she's right. doing the fucking job, she's dude. She's doing all of it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He he's he. Obviously, not the most upstanding husband in the world but yeah it was like basically she was willing to do absolutely everything for him while he basically had just like quit his job to go basically do nothing for five months not nothing but you know freelance stuff and um I guess, but he's a good man because he doesn't, you know, hurt our child.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's so <laughs> it, bad. It, it
2: really harkened back to the previous era for me, which is maybe, you know, where all of my sentiments come from about his character and just, you know, the time period.
1: There was so much of that where I, I wish that I could go back in time and, like, feel that era out. Um, I feel like women were making such huge strides at that point, but if you were in this traditionalist relationship where that was really it, you know, it's just I'm the man, I'm making all of the decisions kind of a thing like it, and we don't really get a sense of that until the butler or I guess the former caretaker is like you need to set them straight and <laughs> they I was need just to like, be
2: corrected. Oh
1: yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Whoa. That yeah. was so uncomfortable and scary.
2: Yes, it was. Things got weird at that point.
1: Yeah. I feel like um, having watched that now as an adult with children, it was so different for me than when I watched it as a kid. It was just like, oh, yeah, it's whatever, you know. But now I'm like, man, it's kind of like if you're not in shape, if you're not like working it, it's pretty easy for a dude to just overpower you, you know. So it's very scary especially when you got that kid that's you know you're the only sane person around.
2: Yeah, especially when you married Jack Nicholson.
1: Oh god, yeah. When you married those eyebrows, you knew it was trouble. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, but your eyebrows say I shouldn't. <laughs> Put the
2: clown your mask back on. Your mouth says yes, <laughs> but your eyebrows say run. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I I had thought that he basically had uh, had given up on things uh, the minute he was in the car with them. That was the first time when he's just like straight up like telling them about um, the Donner Party and explaining it to his child. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Oh, so you think he was nuts immediately? Oh
3: yeah, I think he was. I still I thought he was nuts and hiding it in the in the beginning and the ghosts and stuff just brought it out.
1: Do you think that that's because well, like he says in the film that as soon as he got there, he loved it and he knew the building. Do you think it's because at that point was it foot on premise, we got you kind of a thing? It
2: could have been. Oh. It could have been. He stepped over huh. the threshold and 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 they just had their hold on him.
1: Yeah, that's. I think that's interesting.
2: Yeah, it didn't seem like that when he v- was doing the first
3: visit to me as much. Um, but I guess uh, even looking at that, you know, you could do that. But um, uh, the first visit was, you know, when it was vibrant and there was tons of people around and things like that. And then, you know, basically everybody's almost gone when he first arrives the second time. And, well, you know, with mm. the family and stuff like that. So yeah i think it could
2: have been it could have been that so is the hotel's purpose then to like entrap people and get them to lure their families there and kill them as like some sort of a blood sacrifice like you know to fill up the elevator so that it can all come rushing out in a creepy scene
1: yes probably <laughs> is probably. that the
2: blood of everybody who's been slain in that hotel well it's so they can like party so. like it's
3: 1921 <laughs> <laughs> they got to get more souls right. in there <laughs>
2: I suppose yeah that was that was very popular in the twenties at parties, <laughs> blood waterfall, <laughs> <laughs> oh, although I didn't know that Craze had gotten to Colorado by that point um huh interesting
1: yeah i I wonder though, um I really like that that idea that he's crazy in the car, I really love that, and I've never thought about that before. And I wonder if, you know, going to that hotel the first time is is the sensation that he feels like falling in love or getting a fix for a drug addict because the next thing you want to do, like if you fall in love with someone, is just, you know... That's the drive all night to go and see them type thing when it's just crazy. But maybe that's really what that was—is just the hotel latched onto him as soon as he got there. Well, and if you huh.
3: if you think about it, I mean that I mean everything they show at the the hotel afterwards, you know, sort of maybe falls into place a little more. All the oddities, and the fact that he didn't write a goddamn mm. word of anything except for. All work and no play makes Jack a doll boy, you know?
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Michael, you are on it. You are on to it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Insightful. I mean, obviously, yeah. his, his
3: crazy, uh, crazy extended to his family at some point where he's like, nope, I must eliminate them, you know, but...
2: See, I thought that car scene was just like, you know, if you ever spend more than, you know, 20 minutes in the car with your significant other and one or more children, you start to get that look on your face.
1: But... <laughs> well, I was telling my fiance when we were watching the movie, I was like, oh, man, I used to do that all the time. Like, just sit on my elbows in between the two people in in the front seat. Like, just, oh, hey, guys, I'm here. Let's make a conversation. And who gives a fuck about seatbelts?
2: <laughs> Boy, cars of this era sure suck, don't they?
1: <laughs> for oh, sure god. yep
2: riding center console in the front seat good good mm-hmm. memories red rum red rum oh
1: my god how, is, how have we not talked about this red
2: rum is something that i knew it was part of this movie or did I? I i might have only like uh you know unconsciously known that it was part it was from this movie but it's just like one of those things while you're doing it with your finger red rum red rum it's just like you know, quick, name top five or top ten, you know, um, horror movie, you know, cliches. That you basically. do with your finger. That's one of them. <laughs> <No>. but, yeah. <laughs> Index finger only. We'll move on to middle later. No. No, it, it's just one of those things that I think uh, has transcended the movie and has just become, like, uh, it belongs to horror movies in general now. And often very parodied. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I remember having seen that the first time, and really not—I didn't know what rum was. Of course, as a child, I didn't get it at all. It's like it only comes
2: in white and spiced. What are they talking about?
1: Yeah, what's red? (laughs) Um, Like, are they talking about Malibu? Right. I think they've got wine. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing it in the mirror and I was a very early reader. I was reading at 3, which in the 80s was crazy. And um yeah, it was insane because I remember going <gasps> and cl- putting my hand over my mouth because I wanted to make sure I could see the rest of the movie, but that was the moment where I was like, <gasps> I get it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a good word.
2: <laughs> she was reading written words in horror movies uh, at the age of three, so that that's really something.
1: <laughs> three well, I was even nowadays is, is,
2: is pretty good, I would say.
3: I'm uh, I I'm impressed that that kid was uh, was doing the acting too on on both parts. It wasn't just like, okay, you just look like you're saying that kid, and uh, we'll put it in post, huh? Yeah. <laughs>
2: I always find it a little um, curious, I guess, when you see kids in these types of movies, you know, movies that you wouldn't let a kid their age go see. Um, And you alluded earlier that he didn't know that he was acting in a horror movie, but he must have known that he wasn't acting or that he was acting in something that was, you know, not meant for his demographic, basically. Yeah, for sure. And so that was probably an experience there, too. But, well, he probably
3: was reading by the age of three, so...
2: Yeah, he was cool. Everybody in the 80s was doing it, right? <laughs> or the tail end of the 70s, if you ask me, but...
1: Oh, boy. <laughs> this This guy. This guy. I think that what this film does perfectly throughout the entire film is inflicting the terror of the chase. And that is my big thing. I don't like that feeling of like running and something following me. So maybe that's just me, but I really feel like this was so perfectly executed and every time you're running away from something, boy, it was so scary.
2: You know you know, I've seen many so many it's 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 even a trope. So many horror movies where the ultra slow moving killer is chasing the frantically running away, you know, victim and you, there's no way that they could ever catch up except for through the magic of movie making and the very same thing is playing out in this movie only there's actual tension in this one
1: and mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm.
2: it it seems that at any given time he's gaining on her, he's getting more and more dangerous by the moment, you know she's, you know, moments away from getting, you know, here's johnny <laughs> totally totally worked from a suspense standpoint
3: it, uh, that particular scene didn't hurt that uh, Jack Nicholson had experience being uh, a fire inspector which means he also was a fireman in order to become a
2: fire inspector at one time so <laughs> what? I did I did think he axed down that door very competently
3: yeah they actually had a prop door apparently for that scene and then um uh, he went through it way too fast, so they ended up putting a real door in there, and that was actually him axing through the real door because of his experience. You notice he had really good form.
2: so He did. He did. It was very fluid. It, it looked great.
1: I I know nothing about using an ax, so I'm taking you guys' word for it.
2: No, he. and I watched the first, I don't know, half hour of that documentary by uh, Kubrick's daughter, and she mentioned that scene right there, and I'm just like, whoa, awesome. You know? (laughs)
3: So, all right. uh, With that, we're going to take a little break and then put this movie to the sacred or not test.
1: Mew, mew, mew. Mew, 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 mew.
3: And now is the moment you've all been waiting for when we decide if this movie
2: is sacred, Bovinus Sanctorum, or if it should be put out to pasture bovine is excommunicado, axe, 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 door splintering. <laughs> I did my best. Who wants to go first? I like to let the guest tell us their um, verdict first, usually.
3: All right, it is fine. It is yours to, uh, <laughs> to give away if you don't want it, Veronica.
1: Oh, it's mine to give away if I don't yes. want it? Yes, but you're not sure. shy, are you? Actually, because I have kind of a weird answer, so I would not like to go first. Oh, oh.
2: okay, Mike. You want to rock, paper, scissors, or draw straws? Uh, Sure. I got the long one. You go.
1: <laughs> I can roll a okay, dice. Okay, no, I'm going to go. Oh.
2: I am going to go, because All right. okay. I'm going to be
3: different than both of you, I have a feeling. So, I am going to say... And this is a oh, God. really hard one to say for me. Neither. No. No. <laughs> I'm going to say that for me this one is not sacred. And I what? Yeah, and I think I think the reason for that is I didn't find it scary. And maybe you kind of kind of got out of that. I kind of got it as more of a think piece and and I don't know why. Um it just didn't seem scary to me. It was, uh, I thought that it was fascinating. Like uh, in its sim- cinematography, it was fascinating in the performances and things like that. I just I wasn't scared of it, and maybe it was because I knew the ending again beforehand, you know, from that TNT edit back in the day, or maybe it was because um, I don't know. Just th- there wasn't like enough. Um, it didn't feel like that suspenseful until all of a sudden it was just like, you know, chugging and chugging and chugging. And then like, oh, he's going to do this. He's going to do that. My brain may be two steps ahead of it. I don't know. But it it wasn't scary. And, and, and it ended up not being scary for my wife either. It was more, you know, um, well, isn't that was something, you know, <laughs> that that's some, some crazy shit happening. But, you know, it wasn't scary. So when it's billed as the ultimate horror movie. And it wasn't for me. That's why I'm saying not sacred. And people will be mad at me for this one, I'm sure.
2: (laughs) I suppose you want me to go next. Unlike Mike, I did not think even once during this movie. No, that's not true. (laughs) I have to... Now I'm thinking about it. So here's my thought. This movie was pretty good. I often don't find horror movies to be that great. And this one I thought was worth watching. Um, if only for... Not if only for, but the main reason that I found this movie worth watching was because I finally got to see where all of these oft-parodied, uh, you know, I guess what you would call generic horror movie things, which were scenes from this movie, actually came from. And that was exciting for me. Um That being said, I don't really know that I would enjoy watching this movie more than maybe once more. It seems like the kind of movie that you can watch it a couple of times, form an opinion about how, um, you know, what 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 actually is being represented there, what the director is trying to say, because as I'm learning in this episode, it's not what the um, author of the book was trying to say. They changed everything. Um, So it was worth watching. But it's one of those movies where if you have experience with this movie and a personal history with it, unless you've decided that it is one of your favorites, I think you could probably skip it. And by default, I guess that means that this is a not-sacred movie for Whoa. me, to I, I may or may not watch it again. Let's put it that way. If I watched it again, it would be... I don't know why I would watch it again. Ah, oh, my wife, who thinks it's totally, 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 totally sacred, uh, would want to see it. And I would watch it again, but I'm not in a big hurry to. So not sacred. Veronica?
1: Oh oh boy. Okay, guys. As a horror creator and as a fan of the genre, I have to say that this movie, from a horror standpoint, is absolutely... A must-see if you are a person that just wants to have that knowledge. I feel like, you know, like Pete said, you know, now you get where all the references come from. Um, I feel like, as a horror movie, though, just to watch on its own, it is out to pasture for me.
2: <gasps> no yeah. way. However,
1: wow. for... for the genre thriller or suspense movie i absolutely believe it's sacred if you are wanting to learn from kubrick how to make suspense i feel like this is absolutely sacred but i don't find it scary i i feel like anytime i was screaming it was just because the intensity and just there was too much build for me that i just couldn't take that anymore but as far as it being scary no absolutely not it's not a, a it's not a horror movie it's a thriller for sure so as a thriller absolutely sacred as a horror film completely off to pasture
2: so what is did we just get one of those kind of kind of not answers <sighs> no i get what
3: you're I saying I think it
1: depends on what you're looking i get for. what you're saying
2: i get what you're saying I think that this movie belongs, it has a place on in the like historical movies, like register or whatever. This is horror history. It's a Kubrick. And and maybe it's not horror, but this is thriller history or whatever. And, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's a movie version of a Stephen King book and it's a Kubrick film, blah, 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 blah. All the pieces are there, but when you put them together, I just don't know that it's required. Viewing, or or if you should see it once, is it worth seeing again after you've had that first experience? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I feel like if you want to actually have the horror, then you should read the book and actually watch the slow descent to madness, because I think for everyone, that's the scary part, you know. And I feel like, man, the the movie really missed it, missed the mark completely on that. I felt like Jack Nicholson was crazy from the onset. And now, having heard Mike's theory, I absolutely think, oh, yeah, absolutely. He was hook-line-sinker gone the minute he stepped through the door. And I don't know. I just, gosh.
2: Jack plays a great crazy person.
1: Yeah, yeah. But there was no slow descent. That wasn't everyone. And I feel like that's who Jack Torrance was supposed to represent is just, this could happen to anybody. This could happen to your dad. Well, you know what? My dad's not a crazy psycho. (laughs) 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 My
2: dad's not Jack Nicholson. Hold on while I get a paternity
0: test. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, guys. Hey, Pete, I'm your dad. (laughs) No. This is Jack, Daddy Jack.
1: (laughs) But yeah, I guess. No. Uh, I mean, it's supposed to be a horror film, and to me, if we're just rating it on horror, it's completely out to pasture for me.
2: So, um, so I have I have trouble with my verdict, but I think I still want to call it like not sacred, but you should definitely watch it, <laughs> like <yeah>. once. <laughs> you know, it's. I mean, there's so there's older movies than this that have a lot of rich references in them. But that doesn't mean that they're necessarily worth, you know, like popping in every Friday night.
1: You don't have to watch Wayne's World, but you do have to watch The Shining.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: I guess that that's agreeable. That's agreeable. Yeah. (laughs) This is movie
2: history.
1: If you want to be a part of pop culture and understand pop culture, then you absolutely need to see this movie. Mm-hmm. If you don't give a shit about it, you can pass.
3: Yeah, Go absolutely. read the book. For sure. All right. So I would say that overall, this is a Povinus excommunicado with qualifiers.
2: We've had some of those before. Yep. so. <laughs> Not sacred, but we love it. No, (laughs) (laughs) that's not what we're saying at all.
1: (laughs) I mean, I am
2: (laughs) not sacred, but, you know, I I would I would liken this to the verdict on um, Labyrinth, not sacred for a plethora of reasons. That's the first way I've ever first time I've ever pronounced that word that way. But a marvel of puppetry. You know, the, the particular medium yeah. that it, it it mainly, you know, uh, displays. So, I'll, you know, it had some sacred things.
3: I'll just be interested to see how the Twitter audience takes this one.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh,
2: everybody's going to rage quit this podcast. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well. Sorry, guys. <laughs>
2: <laughs> nice see <seeing> you.
1: <laughs> but I would love to be in a theater with everyone and we can all just talk and watch the movie at the same time and be like, Pause. What does this mean? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well,
1: I actually feel like that would be really fun. I, I think, and then 17 hours later, we could walk out.
3: There, there we go. But I, I, I would rather do a 2001, honestly. Uh...
1: <laughs> oh God! <laughs> no, we just run them simultaneously. <laughs> And see <laughs> what happens.
2: I think you're supposed to start uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon and then start both movies simultaneously.
1: Oh, oh that's right. That's it.
2: <laughs> Watch one out of one eye and one out of the other eye. Yes. The dark side the also, dark side we're of all the vegetarians. Space yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna try that and see if it works. Ninety percent chance it does not. Ninety nine point nine percent chance. Now you guys sound like h- we nachos. need to be in that
3: uh, that uh um documentary movie about this thing anyway <laughs> all right right <laughs> well uh, i think with that let's uh let's get to our final thoughts and wrap up and that ends our review of the shining wow that was
2: a, yikes that was a lot of reviewing yeah it was and we are sure to shock and appall a great number of you out there but sometimes you just got to speak your heart
3: well, thanks With your mouth. Thanks again, Veronica, for uh, for suggesting this movie and, uh, you know, coming on here and uh,
2: showing us what's what. <laughs> Veronica, if you hadn't suggested this movie, I never would have watched it.
1: Well, then I'm really glad that I did, because as we qualified, you have to at least watch it. You
2: have to at least watch it and then you can forget about it forever. It's all good.
1: Yeah, you'll have an opinion and we'll just all move on from there. Absolutely. So
2: all right so um
3: if you don't mind veronica we're going to tell our listeners what to expect from us the next couple of episodes okay all right so now that we've finished the shining we're going to go a completely jack nicholson free direction and the next movie that we're going to review
2: is going to be as good as it gets oh wait no jack nicholson no jack nicholson Oh okay. I don't know what to do in a world without Jack.
1: What about Nick Cage?
2: <laughs> oh, no God. No.
3: We're gonna do Ghostwriter. No. 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 Um...
1: <laughs> Wicker Man.
2: No. Remember that there has to be there has to be a question. Uh, a, <laughs> All a right. Sacredity. No. We're gonna
3: go uh, to um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden
2: Dragon next. A 2001. Um, uh, 2000. 2000. You're 2000. Um, Ang Lee movie uh, starring Chow Yun-fat, Michelle Yeoh, and Zi Zhang. I hope I said any of those right. Right. Well, uh, people got the picture, so uh,
3: get out and watch that. This is the first movie, not the sequel uh, to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Then after that, we're going to return to the Batman series, uh, doing uh, Batman Returns, and we're working on... Um, organizing a guest for that one, as well as Batman Forever and then Batman and Robin. And we don't know if we're going to do those as a double or a single. It kind of depends on the guests we have uh, worked out for those movies as well.
2: So those ought to be a real treat. Oh,
1: so do you guys want to hear a true story about Batman? Sure. Yes. Okay. wait, so I (laughs) have. Oh, absolutely. He is. So, okay, (laughs) you all know I'm in the South. So um, I was raised in the religions, and I had a Jesus nightlight, and I also had a poster of Batman in my bedroom. So as you know, I would sneak out and watch horror films and also Cheers. And I'd come back and get in my room. And when I'd be too afraid, I would just be like, okay, but you know what? It's cool because I've got this Batman poster. So if any shit goes down, Batman's going to come out of that poster. (laughs) I was more, absolutely more convinced that Batman would come out of the the poster than Jesus would come out of the (laughs) nightlight. Well. So there's that.
2: (laughs) What's a Jesus nightlight going to do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: What if the electricity goes off?
2: <laughs> it's the Jesus symbol! Whoa.
1: <laughs>
2: get to the Jesus cave!
1: Yeah. What was bad is that his face was like kind of pinkish, and so when you turn the nightlight on, Jesus had the worst rosacea ever. <laughs>
2: <So>.
1: <laughs> All right.
3: Oh,
2: man. <laughs> Too much hanging out with lepers.
3: Yes. Okay. Uh, well, uh, with that, yes, so get watching Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon and then prepare for some Batman. Uh, for the next several episodes. Um, you can find us on the internet. Uh, we are on Twitter, at Sacred Cows Pod. That's at SacredCowsPod. You can also email us at SacredCows at HeroOfTheWeb.com uh, and use that for your more longer form emails. We every once in a while do a feedback episode. We use that to sort of pick topics. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I am at WhiteMorph. Uh, What about you, Veronica? Where can people find you in the many places?
1: Sure, you can find me on the Twitter as well, at Typical Veronica. I also have a Pinterest in case you're interested. (laughs) Kidding. Please don't follow me on Pinterest.
3: <laughs> and you want to tell them about your show?
1: Oh, right. And if you want to check out my show, which actually is horrific, you can follow the show at CAF Podcast. That's Cthulhu and Friends.
3: And it, now is awesome. a great time to bounce in if you haven't watched or listened before. Um, then, you know, it, it, it's a fully new story and season.
1: Yeah, I... Uh, Did a total party wipe at the end of season three so if you pick up season four episode one you'll be able to kind of jump on the train and not have a lot of backlog to do oh yeah they were really excited about that
2: (laughs) (laughs) so no more meanwhile back in mystic connecticut (laughs) <laughs> Miskatonic University uh, hey Mike you didn't ask me uh, about my Twitter handle
3: oh do you have one now because I gave up on that no it. of course
2: not <laughs> Well, the- but the year is young I said I would get one uh, uh, sometime during the second season so I'm still working my way up to that the fans have been clamoring pretty... for it so uh... <laughs> have they <laughs> uh, well...
1: I'm going to get on Twitter right away Let's see how uh, this how, is me clamoring. Yeah, right. Let's
2: <laughs> see how fast I can get him to clamor to uh, get me to delete it. Um. <laughs> OK, well, coming, coming sometime to a Twitter near you. Is there anything
3: else? Uh, words of wisdom for the road for our, our wonderful fans from Veronica.
1: Uh, do not drink and drive. Do not swerve to miss the dog. Oh, also uh, farewell to Prince. Huge loss. And we're super sad that you're gone.
3: Yeah. Agreed. Go out and listen to some Prince music and uh, truly take in that genius. Absolutely. Totally.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Go put some Prince on and go make a fucking baby.
3: (laughs) It's what
2: he would have wanted.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That
2: was his goal all these years.
3: All right. Well, uh, I think that's enough. So bye, everybody. Ta-ta.
1: Bye.